Hi everyone, I've no idea what episode this is. Anyway, uh, friends, I'm away on holiday. Nick couldn't even be bothered to be here. And so I thought what we'd do is we'd put out an interview that I recorded with uh, the Reverend Steve Chalk. Some, uh, well, some some weeks ago now, he came down to Sunny Worthing, which is very nice of him. We sat on the pier of the year and then we came home and we talked about his latest book, uh, The Lost Message of Paul. And, uh, well, I think it's quite an interesting interview. And, uh, you know, when Nick can be bothered to turn up, we will discuss it together, no doubt. Yeah, maybe. Are you there, are you? Well, you... I'm lurking. How did you get there? Ah. Uh... I have talents. <laughs> hey everyone, so I'm here with uh, Steve Chalk. Hello, welcome back to the podcast. It's great to be here. For a second time, thank you for coming down on a glorious summer's day. It is a glorious summer's day and I'm looking out at your garden which is just as glorious as the summer's it's day. It's great isn't it? It is a beautiful garden. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's fantastic. It truly is, I'm amazed. So, um, Green fingers. Yeah, thank you. Bald head but green fingers. <laughs> yeah, it's true, it's a good look. <laughs> so listen, <laughs> since we've last met have you been thrown out of any other evangelical associations? <laughs> uh, I don't think I've been thrown out of anything lately that I can remember. I've had lots of threats, <laughs> but no one's actually removed my membership from anything. Although I don't think I've got any many, many memberships yeah. left. No. <laughs> but more importantly, since we have last met, well, two things. My friends are writing brilliant books. So Nick has written The Badly Behaved Bible, yeah, which you can see over there. Exactly. I saw it reviewed and it's he got e- a crack. It's review. fantastic. Yeah. It is excellent. So yeah. he's written one of the best books I think he's ever written. I mean, he writes great books, as we mm. know. He's a you, great writer. You've written a few. Yeah, but I'm not a writer. I'm no, not like well, Nick. We know that. He's, he's, <laughs> a, he's an artist. But I tell you what, this latest book of yours, mm. The Lost Message of Paul, mm. by Steve Chalk, endorsed by Rob Bell and... And Richard Raw and oh yeah, Robert <laughs> all Beckford and all those important people. And um, this seems different to other books you've written. Because I hope you don't mind me saying this, Steve. You write in a style that's a little bit provocative. You don't <laughs> always back up your points. You just chuck it out there in a popularist manner. Mm. <laughs> well, I you... mean, they're great. I love them, as you know. But this one seemed, seemed different to me. In, in, well, I'm glad you noticed that. No, I do. Because in actual fact, I decided deliberately to make that change. And and it's to do with Rob Bell. My is friend it? Rob Bell, yeah. Okay. Because I think Rob wrote a brilliant book, which is called Love Wins. Yes. And I, I, I think it just is ginormously brilliant. Yeah. Um, but really he didn't write any footnotes into it. So I think that what Rob is a great scholar, but the, yeah. and he's a great popularist writer. Yeah. And he wrote this book, which he got slammed for. I mean, he also got love for, but he got slammed by everyone for. And I realised, I've never had this conversation with Rob, actually, not had yeah. a chance to, but I realised that if they, they said, oh, you know, he's just made all this stuff up, yeah. up and it's shallow and it's vacuous mm. and it's kind of the gospel according to Rob mm. Bell, whoever he is. And I realised that what Rob had done is he'd not shown his workings out. Mm. 
he'd yeah. he understood all of this, understood yeah. it with incredible depth, but he just put it yeah. out there as a popularist book. Yeah. And so I I decided that I decided I wanted to write about Paul. Yeah. I decided that the, I thought that society, let alone the church, has misunderstood Paul as misogynistic yeah. and, you know, yeah. he's anti-sex, anti-gay, anti-marriage, anti-divorce, anti-most yeah. things that are moving yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. And I realised, I believe that that was the wrong idea about Paul. But I knew that if I just wrote a popularist book, yeah. no one would listen and they just write it off. Well, no one inside the church. No. Yeah. And I knew that if I wrote a theological book, yeah. no one would read it. <laughs> so, so yeah, it, it, it's true. Yeah. So it, it, the way I see it, yeah. um, the, the average book that, that gets published in church circles isn't a theological book. It's a popularist book. So it's kind of 90% stories and 10% theology. Yeah. And then a theology book is 90% theology and 10% stories, and that's why nobody reads it. So what I wanted to do was write a popularist yeah. book with hundreds of footnotes. Yeah. So at every moment that I was making a provocative yeah. statement, there was a footnote yeah. that basically said, this is how I got there, and this is the But not just in the footnotes, to be fair. You, you, you know, you're unashamedly going into the Greek and going into yeah. the Hebrew and, and, I and wanted to, the roots I want, those words. In one sense, I wanted to write a version of Rob's brilliant book, Love Wins, that people could not dismiss on the basis yeah. of its lack of... of theology or academic Okay, so what's the response been like? Well, the response has been, uh, the response has been brilliant, actually. Yeah. In fact, Amazon just yeah. told me last weekend that it's a bestseller. Wow. Yeah, it's one of their bestsellers, which is amazing because in all the years of writing yeah. books, I've written a lot of books, I've never had a bestseller on Amazon. Yeah. Um, and um, the reviews have been great or awful. That's right. the, that's so there's the, no in between. There's no it's in between. Yeah. So yeah. So I wrote. I read it. I don't, don't get a chance to re read most of them. But my PA Judith showed me uh, uh, a review that was out just this week, actually, and it said this book. Um, I, I can't remember, but, but yeah. she, it said this book everyone should read. Every preacher should read. And then it said once you understand this book and what it's saying about Paul, it is. Uh, phrase was literally world changing which was wonderful it gave me five yeah. stars or whatever yeah. they give you and they're there but then I read another one that someone showed me last week that said if you ever want any proof that Steve Chalk is not a Christian yeah. read this so right. yeah. it's either one or the other it doesn't but seem you, to be anything but in the middle you have had some really good comments I know and you, you know you're probably not going to go on about them because you said them when we weren't recording but I mean people really are really are excited about the book because but what you're saying on it is, is no exaggeration to say it is absolutely transformational it, it, it is it is actually saying we've misunderstood scripture a, a large portion of scripture which has meant we have fundamentally misunderstood the gospel of Jesus absolutely fundamental. so I mean you know I mean that's it, that's pretty provocative yeah, yeah. in itself well it? it's saying that um it's saying that if what I've written, my understanding of what Paul meant is true, instead of playing a game of tiddlywinks, we're playing a game of cricket. Instead of playing a game of rugby, we're playing a game of football. Instead of playing a game of hockey, 
we're, we're scouting. You know, it's it's fundamentally different. This isn't. Tamper. You should have just said it would be a game changer. Yeah, it is that a game changer. Yeah. yeah. So you started writing right. longer books. Yeah, you? yeah, exactly. <laughs> it is. It is. It's fundamentally. It means that Christ, faith in Christ, um, the Christian faith, the the, yeah. the following Christ experience is a fundamentally different thing right. to the thing that I grew yeah. up being taught. That okay, so right, let's get into it now because we can't we can't just string our listeners along <laughs> and not give them the meat. What is the big point that you're trying to make in this book? So right at the centre of the whole thing, yeah. and then it spills out all sorts yeah. of ways because this sends ripples everywhere. It's yes. like it's sure. like a it's like an atom bomb dropped, yeah. and then the ripples go out everywhere. Do you yeah. know it? Cha- it changes everything. So right at the centre is this fact that we have. This is a fact, not yeah. an opinion. Misunderstood. This will sound boring to start with. A little phrase that Paul uses in his epistles, in his letters. He uses it half a dozen times, only half a dozen times, but everyone from Martin Luther, the great reformer, to people like John Stott, who was a great evangelical scholar, all called the the passages that contain this phrase the centre of the Bible. In fact, Martin Luther called one of the passages that contains this phrase, Romans chapter 3, the most important paragraph ever written in human history. And that little paragraph interprets this phrase, which is in Greek, is pistis Christu. Yeah. And that that paragraph in Martin Luther's understanding is interpreted faith in Christ. So it yeah. says, you are saved by your faith in Christ, which is what Romans yeah. 3, by his understanding, Amen. says. You're saved by your faith in yeah. Christ. This is the basis sure, of the Bible. Sure, yeah, we, we've all learned that phrase. And it's that become phrase. the basis yeah. of the gospel of tens and tens and hundreds of thousands of churches. Pray this prayer, yeah. receive Christ by faith. If you pray this prayer and put your faith in Christ, you will be saved. If you have no faith, you're doomed, you're damned. You're not exactly. saved. You're yeah, not saved, you know. Yeah. yeah, turn your back on Christ, you've had it etc etc the problem with this of course is that well I have a friend who's a lifelong friend actually he's a lifelong friend he's 10 years older than me but when I we went to the same church when I was a kid and um he's not quite 10 years older than me and he's the richest person I know and he's not Christian okay and he has funded Oasis through the years and he'll say to me constantly he said I love the work you do Steve I'll fund you I'll help you but I can't believe in God. And I've watched my friend sit and cry because he can't believe in God. And he's been taught from childhood because he was taught in the same Sunday school as me that he's damned. And I know, it's true, I know that every single day, sometimes when he's not away, every single day he'll go and he'll sit in his little Anglican church in the village where he lives and he'll sit in silence because he needs to reflect and he'll he'll pray and pray and his prayer is every day this god if you're there give me the ability to believe in you so that i can have faith so that i will be saved wow and uh, he's into his 70s now right and he has no faith and he believes that he's doomed and he's read your book You I, should give him a copy. He has funded you all these years. He, he has helped me all these years. <laughs> and actually, he's a, he's a bad reader. 
Oh. And so uh, yeah. I've made an audio version. And oh, really? Yeah, and uh, I've sent him the audio version. Oh, well done. He's a bad reader. He Great. doesn't like reading. Yeah. But the point is, so many people live believing yeah. their aunt is who they love is destined for hell, or their mum or dad oh, yeah. or their brother or sister, or they believe it about themselves because oh. they think, I've got faith, but not enough faith. And I know ministers who at funerals have told people, this person has gone to hell. Yeah. Yeah, they've gone to hell because they didn't yeah. have faith and, in Christ. And I, Can I you imagine. I, I have been at funerals where people have told <laughs> oh, people. People, they've told. Oh, I was at a funeral recently, and people. Somebody died young. Yeah, that often happens at funerals. Yeah, <laughs> they died much younger than they should yeah. have, and the family had turned up to gr- and friends to yeah. grieve the loss yeah. of their of their daughter, of their sister, of their cousin, of yeah. their work yeah. friend. And I listened to a minister yeah. tell them all that they would all go to hell. Nice. And unbelievable. And they it's were abuse. already oh, it, well it is abuse. So it's angry. Anyway, anyway the, the so the point is how many Don't people Don't even get me started. How many people in churches believe that my friend would have been healed if I had enough faith, but I don't have enough faith. It's not saving faith, it's not nation shaping faith, it's not changing faith, it's not healing faith. I haven't got enough faith. Yeah. And how many people say, I know I'm saved by my faith, but oh, have I got enough faith to be saved by yeah. it? So so the point is Luther yeah. translated this phrase, pistis Christu, as faith in Christ. You're saved yeah. by your faith in Christ. But 60 years ago, 50 years ago, um, somebody wrote a, a book. His name E.B. Saunders. He was. You said it on the first podcast, yeah. actually. Yeah. yeah. Ed, Ed yeah. Sanders. Important yeah. guy. Yeah. He wrote this book, which was called Paul and Palestinian Judaism. He's an Oxford yeah. professor. Yeah. And he said this phrase shouldn't be translated faith in Christ. It should be translated the faith of Christ. The Tiny faith little difference or there. the faithfulness of Christ. And and to one prove, word. Well, yeah, one word. The the thing is that the connecting word in or of is doesn't appear in the Greek. Pistus means faith or faithfulness much mm. more accurately in Christu Christ. So faithfulness Christ is it faithfulness in Christ or faithfulness of Christ and and Luther chose to chose to translate it as faith in Christ and then Calvin and others followed him and so the whole western world not the rest of the world but the whole western world or the protestant western world has come to believe that we're saved by our faith in Christ but recently because of scholarship because we're constantly digging up new yeah. manuscripts and understanding more about Homer and Aristotle and Plato and Suetonius and, you know, etc. All these writers who wrote in Greek, we dig up, literally, the the yeah. the archaeologists dig up these documents. Yeah. And so that's how you translate. You see, you well, compare yeah. the use of, uh, in Sapporo, who was a, as a Greek female poet, it, you look at how Sapporo uses these Greek words and then you look at how... Homer uses them, and then you look at how um, Paul uses them, and you go, ah, that's what it meant. So we now know without doubt that what Paul was saying was, we are saved by the faithfulness of Christ. Now, when you say without doubt, let's just quick reality Mm, check here. Tom Wright, would he say that? Yes. Definitely? Absolutely. Our Bibles, would they say that? They do now. Do they? And they used to. What? 
Okay, so say a bit so, like yeah, that. Okay, so Tom Wright would say that. In fact, I am pretty well directly quoting Tom Wright from my book when I say, um, Tom Wright says, Paul, when he uses the phrase pistis Christu, generally means the faithfulness of Christ. Okay. That's a direct quote from him. In terms of our Bibles, if you look at the New International Version, this is a good test of whether I'm, yeah. what I'm saying is true or not. If you look at the New International Version, Romans chapter 3, yeah. verse 22, which is one that classically said we're saved by our faith in Christ, it still says that, the modern version. The, the, the 1970s and 80s versions of the NIV, yeah. people don't realise that the NIV, the New International yeah. Version, is changing it's all got, the time because yeah, sure. they change it online now to catch up with scholarship. Yeah. So the older versions used to just say you're saved by faith in Christ. But the latest version, which I think was 2012, now says that because it's popularist. Mm. But there's a little letter. Yeah. And if you look down in the, in the basement of the page, yeah. it says, or... The faithfulness of Christ. Now, I which is more accurate. Yeah, which is more accurate because people say, "Oh, it can be one or t'other." Yeah. Well, it, on that reading, it can be one or t'other. But you know, when you were growing up, or at least when I was growing up, there were people who used to say the King James Bible, the Authorized Bible. That yeah. is the. That's version. the version. I do. I have come across a few of those yeah. people. They were deacons in Baptist yeah. church. Well, if you go back and you look in this old. A version of the Bible published in the seventeen hundred in the seventeenth century, the sixteen hundreds, yeah. and even further back, William Tyndale, yeah. the man who gave his life for the Bible yeah. to be translated into English. Yeah. Both of them, both of them, read Romans chapter three yeah. as you are saved by the faith of Christ. The faithfulness of Christ. So That's the old reading so and the new reading are the same. So it's just this middle section it's just from Luther. So there'd be loads of people, perhaps people even listening yeah. to this right now, who go, oh, yeah, but Steve Chalk, you've come along with your new view, which yeah, is yeah. all kind of modern, and etc., yeah. etc. Hang on. Yeah, you've sold out to culture. Yeah, yeah and yeah. you've gone with that. Yeah. The old view, going right back to Jerome. Right? Okay. In the 4th century, Jerome translates the Bible from Greek into Latin. How, what does he say? You're saved by the faith, the faithfulness of Christ. Yeah. Um, Tyndale does it. The authorised version does it. Then Luther in Central Europe makes this yeah. break and Calvin swallows Luther's mistranslation. And so you get Western Protestantism that sold people this terrible thing that you're only saved if you can have faith rather than God is faithful. Just... God yeah. is faithful, whatever, whoever we are, God's faithful to us. And so the new translation, yeah. which many scholars, including um, uh, Tom Wright, people yeah. know, but many, many others, sure. uh, would all agree that the new right. way of translating it is the same as the ancient right. way of translating it. We've laboured it, and you, you do go to town on this in the book. Yeah. Because I, it's fundamental. Say, and it's unusual for you, because normally you just write a sentence and go, by the way, this should be <laughs> the faithfulness of Christ. But you actually... You, I, you, you devote chapters of that chapters book to, to it. Now, why? Why is this so important? Spell it out. It's obvious to me now, and, and mm. you know, I've read, I've, I've read most of the book, as you can see where mm. the bookmark is there, mm. and I've quite finished it. Yeah. Why is this so foundationally and fundamentally important? Because through my life, I've encountered endless people who believe that they're condemned because they can't have faith. They wish they could have faith, but they can't. 
Through my life, I've met endless people, someone this morning actually, who talked to me, whose mother-in-law had just died. And she, um, a few weeks ago actually, and she felt that her mother-in-law was going to go to hell and she loved her mother-in-law, but her mother-in-law wasn't a Christian and couldn't have faith. And I gave her a copy of my book a few weeks ago and she read it. And this morning she was just telling me how much joy it had brought her, how much a relief mm. it was, and how she'd given her mother-in-law, she'd given mm. her father-in-law, rather, a copy of this book mm. to, to comfort him in his mm. grieving. Because so many people feel that though they're in the church, they haven't got enough faith, as I've said, right. and so they live with guilt all their lives. Now, ironically, the thing that Luther and Calvin did was they came along and they said, you know, the medieval Catholic Church says you're saved by your works. And that creates a system of power and control and guilt and shame and fear. You know, you, you're, mm. you're, you are unworthy and they dangle you over hell and they yeah, say you're yeah. going to hell. But if you if you pay for an indulgence, yeah, yeah. if you pay yeah, for exactly. a penance, yeah, yeah. you can be let off. So that's how you run yeah. a system of control, by the way, yeah, isn't it? Of course it is. You scare people rigid and yeah. then you say actually, we can get you out of this. Just pay us yeah. and you can get out and you won't go to hell. Mm. Luther wanted to get away from that system of control yeah. based on fear and shame and guilt. Yeah. And he came up with, you're not saved by your works, what you do, because you're always having to work at those, pay for them. Yeah. You're saved by faith in Christ. And so, so... It sounds good so far, doesn't it? <laughs> until you realise <laughs> yeah. that faith is the biggest work of them all. At least yeah. if I yeah. was a medieval Catholic, I'm not sticking up for medieval Catholicism. I'm sticking yeah. up for Catholicism, but, but yeah. in medieval Catholicism had corrupted it and it had yeah. become about money. But at least, you know, I, I, yeah. you're the priest. You come yeah. along to me and I'm scared stiff. And you say, look, Steve, you've got a, 20 quid yeah. and you're in. It's yeah. okay, you're worried so right, And I say, I say, but father, father, I only earn tenor a year. And you say, well, save up over the next you know, <laughs> yeah. 10 years. And so I do. And I pay my tiny quid to you. And you go, it's okay, you're in. You're and for the rest of my life, I go, phew. Whereas if you tell me I'm saved by my faith, faith is yeah. a bigger work than anything. And it How creates you know? more anxiety yeah. and angst yeah. than anything else. Have I got enough faith? Am I doubting too much? Oh, I doubt too much. I don't pray as much. If I ever tell anyone how much I, little faith I've got, do I really believe that Jesus was <laughs> exactly. born of a virgin? Do I believe? Oh, I didn't, but I can doubt. I'm doubting whether Jesus rose from the dead or not. Oh, oh no, no, I'm doomed, I'm doomed. So yeah. having faith yeah. becomes the biggest That's shame the and guilt-inducing yeah. thing in on the planet, and it ensures yeah. this that when you gather a little small group together in your house yeah. or anywhere else yeah. and you ask people to talk about their faith yeah. everyone in the room lies yeah or or they including say, the vicar I, or or they're <laughs> honest and say oh, i just don't have enough faith yeah oh, my faith's poor yeah or weak and or then inadequate. then everyone prays for them that they yeah. get faith <laughs> and then makes them feel worse than they were but hang on so so here's the problem if it's not our faith that saves us in mm. Christ. It's Christ's faith. It's, the, it's faith. the faithfulness of Christ. Which is the gift of God to then, us, the faithfulness of Christ. Who's saved, Steve Chalk? Who is saved? Well, there's a wonderful, <laughs> there's a wonderful uh, uh, little thing that sums all this up in uh, 
in Ephesians chapter 2 and it says um, we are it's read traditionally as we're say you're saved by your faith in Christ yeah then it says this is the gift of God hmm. it is not of us should lest anyone should boast yeah. and you see reading that the old way you go you're saved by your faith in Christ okay yeah. we're saved by having faith in Christ this is the gift of God. Oh, my life. I haven't got enough faith. That means I haven't been given this gift yeah. by God. That means yeah. I'm destined for hell. That means I'm yeah, not elect because sure. I've not got faith. Yeah, you've I'm, got problems. I'm, I've got problems. I'm saved by my yeah. faith, but the, my faith is a gift from God. And I haven't got any faith. Therefore, I didn't get this gift for God. Therefore, I'm doomed to hell. Yeah. You're saved by your faith in Christ, which is the gift of God, which is not of yourselves, lest anyone should boast. Oh, my, my yeah. life. But if you read it the other way, you are saved by the faith, by, by the faithfulness of Christ, by Christ's faithfulness. This is the gift of God to everyone. It's not of yourself, in case anyone should boast. No, it's God's faithfulness yeah. to us all through Jesus, which, cut into the chase, means we're all in. Everyone's in. Why? Not because of my faith. I haven't got a labour and slog about my tribe? I thought we were so special. And there's the funny (laughs) thing, isn't it? And special. Hasn't it ever, you know, one of the things over the years, Joe, over the years, has this never, I don't don't know if this is just me, it might be you as well. Because I've had the chance to, uh, I'm very fortunate, travel widely and talk to so many people from different denominations in different parts of the world and and actually even different religions. Do you know, I'm half Indian and Oasis works in India, etc., etc., etc. The incredible thing is that wherever you go, every denomination, every tribe, every sect believes that they are in. They believe that the gospel is basically good news for them and equally very bad news for anyone who's not like them. We're going to heaven. Yeah, everybody else is doomed not only do I think it's funny I often think it's really weird that here comes Jesus saying the exact opposite yeah. that the doors are, the floodgates open it's not just the special tribe of Judaism it's everyone everyone and we've turned yeah. it into an exclusive yeah. religion yeah, called yeah. Christianity yeah. <laughs> or, and called the Baptists or the Methodists yeah. or the URCs oh, or the Catholics because I was brought, brought up in a Baptist church believing that all Catholics were going to go to hell my dad told me they were going to go to hell you know let alone the Muslims or anyone else. you know it's just unbelievable that God is the biggest tribal excluder in the universe I'm to be inclusive and love my enemy but God is going to curse all this and and so so that's the place I came to but what I want to say is that what I'm saying is not an opinion it happens to be my opinion everyone's entitled to their opinion but there are only one set of facts and the facts are these that Paul's language should be interpreted to mean we're saved by the faithfulness of Christ. My book explores it, but the, the thing yeah. I say at the start of my book, actually, yeah. this, this book, yeah. which you've kindly bought a copy of, which I'm now yeah, picking up, uh, as yeah. I say at the beginning, there is nothing in here that is original. This right. is plagiarism on a massive scale. Yeah. Right. Every single comment I make is 
is because yeah. I've read the theology yeah. of the last 60 yeah, yeah. years. I've and you read credit Tom the people, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah I yeah. credit them all. So this is the gap, it represents the gap between the, the theologians, the state-of-the-art yeah, theology, exactly, which I is know. always moving and changing based on our scholarship, which yeah. is constantly growing, yeah. and what gets taught in so many churches. The gap is huge. And so what I wanted to do was say, yeah. this is what the people who study this for with their lives are saying. And all I'm trying to do is make it simple. Okay. Can I, I mean, okay, we've covered the theology and, and mm. it is really foundational, isn't it? Mm. I mean, it's, it's the biggest plank to put in place. And especially for people in mid-faith crisis, because, you know, you take, you take a card out of the stack of cards mm. in evangelicalism and a whole lot comes falling down. And then you think, I've got no faith left mm. because you said that you can include gay people. Oh, I, mm. I'm sorry, to, even that feels disrespectful. I hate saying this. I, I never really honestly want a conversation about mm. gay people. I, I mm. don't. I had someone text me this week saying, maybe Joe Davis, put a comment on mm. Facebook, maybe Joe Davis could comment on this. Mm. No, Joe Davis can't comment on this because Joe <laughs> Davis is sick of commenting about <laughs> these things. And Joe Davis doesn't comment because it's so, for me, it just mm. this is, feels like, such a redundant conversation to have but i know mm. in churches you've got to have that conversation yeah but you but you were you came to prominence basically saying hey we should affirm same-sex yeah unions and everything because that is the natural progression yes from a theology that says everyone's included yeah and love wins yeah so if i i so can we I, come on to that yeah so if i can go a step back sure. go a step forward because the other big thing to say, uh, besides the Pistis Christu uh, conversation and all of its implications, because once mm. you recognise it's the faithfulness yeah. of Christ that includes us all, then you have to rethink all sorts of other things, which the yeah. book goes on to do. But you might say, so how do we realise that this phrase does mean the faithfulness of Christ and not faith in Christ? The answer to that is that you have to read every book, every author in the context of their lives. The word isn't the central um, uh, unit of meaning, nor the sentence, nor the paragraph, nor even the chapter or the book. The life is. Yeah. So um, take, for instance, a, a simple phrase. I use this in the book, but more one illustration. The term hot dog. Yeah. Right. If you're at a football match and it's half time and your mate turns to you and says, that's a hot, points at something, mm. says that's a hot dog. Yeah. He, she, probably means there is a sausage in a roll. Yeah. That's, that's a hot dog. That's a fair understanding. Yeah. yeah. If you're at the beach on a hot summer's bank holiday in a Monday, car park near in a, a car, car park, park near a car park <laughs> crammed with cars yeah. and your friend says to you passing lots of estate yeah. cars there's a hot dog it probably means yeah. there's a dog that's been left in the boot without yeah. the windows open that's panting because it's mm. so hot mm. in other words the very meaning of the yeah. words we used is utterly changed by context of and course. the context of the person that says yeah. it the term lady killer mm can mean two opposite things. If you're in a category A prison mm. on, on, a, on a top secure mm. ward, um, it probably means the murderer of women. Mm. If you're at some nightclub in central London, uh, uh, mm. uh, 
and there's endless, you know, well-dressed guys in their 20s there, and you say, there's a lady killer. It probably means someone who's really good-looking who's wearing designer mm. clothes. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. so when we read Paul's words, yeah. we have to ask, who was Paul? What was yeah. his life? Now, nearly at the end of this, Paul was yeah, a get Jew. get on with it, wouldn't you? Yeah, Paul was a Jew. <laughs> All Jews... Actually, in my book, I explained that it was something called a Second Temple Jew. Yes, and that's All really Jews important. were Second yeah, Temple Jews. Sure. And what Second Temple Jews were, do, were doing is they were waiting for a Messiah to turn up. The mm. Liberator, that's what it means. Someone who would come and rescue Israel. Because they knew that God would always rescue Israel. Because Israel were chosen as a nation, not individually, but the whole lot. A yeah. job lot. If you were Jewish, you were in. So yeah. if you went to a Jew then, indeed, if you go to a traditional religious Jew now and say, would you like to pray a little prayer with me so you can be saved? The Jew will look at you. You should try it. Yeah, make confused. Look at you and go, like, what are you on about? I'm a Jew. I am saved. What do you yeah. mean I can be saved if I pray a prayer? I am a Jew. We are saved. And then you say, what do you mean you are saved? They say, well, it's a deal between us and God. It's a covenant, actually, they've explained yeah, to you. Yeah. We have promises. We are the people of God. Yeah. And God is our God. God has duties. The yeah. God of the universe has, has <laughs> yeah. responsibilities. Yeah, yeah, exactly and, right. and the God of the universe has a responsibility to us. We are, we are the God of the universe's people. We are saved and we will always be saved. Whatever scrapes we get ourselves into, however it goes wrong, if it's our own fault, we end up in exile, you know, etc., etc. Doesn't matter. God has a duty to redeem us and save us, rescue us. That's the deal. Jews all believe that, including yeah. Paul. The reason Paul saw was persecuting the followers of Jesus wasn't because he didn't believe in a Messiah. He did believe in a Messiah. The reason he was persecuting the followers of Jesus was because this Messiah happened to be dead. He'd been crucified. And how can you be the liberator if you're yeah. dead? Yeah. A a serious requirement, a job requirement. Yeah, it's, yeah. <laughs> it's in the descri yeah. job description of any Messiah that they are not dead. Stay alive. <laughs> Stay alive. Because if you're dead, yeah. you're useless. How can you liberate people yeah. if you're dead? But on this road, the Damascus Road, which is written yeah. about um, yeah. in the book of Acts, uh, which talks about Paul's change, mm. um, what happens is... Saul, is, Saul, which is the name he goes under mostly then, is out to persecute the followers of Jesus because they're following a dead Messiah. And this is a travesty, especially at a time when Jews are being persecuted by the Romans. They've got to hold together and hold their identity, not get it, it, mm. uh, it mm. diluted. Yeah. So he's out to wipe out these people who are kind of yeah. squashing the identity of Judaism just when it needs to stand up for itself. And then on the Damascus Road, he encounters Jesus risen from the dead. We don't know what that encounter consists of. I happen to think it was more an internal thing than an external thing. But he's knocked off his feet by the fact that he understands that Jesus is alive. He hears the voice of Jesus and his whole life is revolutionised. Why? Because he was a Second Temple Jew. And Second Temple Jews believed that a Messiah would come. You can read about it all in lots of texts in the Old Testament. Isaiah chapter 25 is a sure. great one. And it says that it says that when the Messiah comes, through the Messiah, God will, will swallow up death and then prepare a table for all the nations of the whole earth, just like as he, he's prepared for the Jews. What he's done for the Jews, he'd do for everyone. 
Paul suddenly realizes that Jesus has died, yeah. but he's but through him God swallowed up death. He's alive again. Yeah. So now what was true for the Jews is clearly true for everyone. And so all that Paul spends his life doing is saying, "Hey, the You're Jews yeah. were all you were in because you were Jews. Now everyone's in because God's promise for Judaism." is now the promise for the whole of creation. You're all in. Yeah. And his message is summed up, in my view, you're all in, now live in line with it. Live in sync with it. Even if you don't live in sync with it, you're in, yeah. live in sync with it. That's really... You're in, live like it. It's almost like that's quite good news. It's, <laughs> it's a bit of a relief. <laughs> it takes the stress, right, okay, the angst yeah. and the pressure out of everything. Okay. You're in. You I'm sorry God to bring you. it back to a question now, of sexuality, like but well, I, I just, I'm, I'm really so your L, your G, your B, your T, your S, yeah. you're straight. Yeah, you know, you're, you're in. in. Now live like it. It's such a massive issue for the church. This one, though, isn't it? the it's sexuality it. one, and you know, people have written in asking us to comment on it, and you know, I write back emails and things, and you know, whatever. But last this last Saturday, a few days ago, yeah. I married. Two good friends of mine. Yeah. One is called James yeah. and one is called Tony. Yeah. And our church celebrated their marriage. Why do I marry same-sex couples? Because I believe in marriage. Because I'm yeah. a conservative. <laughs> You're such a fundy. Aren't you? I am a conservative. You, oh, you can. I, I yeah. believe in marriage. I believe. Yeah. I, uh, I'm serious. I believe in marriage. I believe in faithfulness. I believe in yeah. lifelong faithfulness. I believe in. I believe. I believe for better, for worse, in sickness and in health, for richer, for poorer, till death parts us, to love and to cherish, to not let go of. So we have to create in our society a framework which allows people who are who are who yeah. are homosexual. Uh, to live in that way. You know, you hear loads of people saying, oh, you know, gay people, they're so promiscuous. Actually, I don't think that's true. No. I think the biggest problem, if you're looking at the church, for instance, I happen to be a Baptist minister, is the promiscuity of straight people. Yeah, exactly. Not, not the promiscuity of gay people. Yeah. We've banned most of the gay people from churches. Yeah. So, um, but I think that promiscuity, um, much promiscuity in the homosexual community has been generated because we've never given to people a lifelong relationship that we can celebrate and they can celebrate yeah. and we can encourage them. But what about the killer verses? I mean, there, there are, you know, people say, and you can dismiss some of the things in the Old Testament because you say, well, we don't follow any of those laws anymore. Mm. They weren't written, but, but you know, Paul does seem to say, and what's this word, arsenicante, isn't it? Which yeah, disappointingly yeah, is not where we get our... Uh, English word for yeah. ask from, yeah. but uh, perhaps just as well. Um, but you know that that's translated, isn't it? Is yeah. you know same sex homosexual, yeah. and and so they say. Well, they get there. You go. You can't go including people because here clearly are verses in Timothy mm. that prohibit. Uh, so, what would you say about? Well, that? I would say the first thing about the Old Testament verses, actually, um, you know, there is, there, there, in actual fact, in the Bible, there are six passages which people sometimes refer to as the clobber passages. Yeah, exactly. Uh, three in the Old Testament, three in the New Testament. Although people mm. vary a bit on which mm. verses these actually are, but two of the Old Testament ones are are in Leviticus, which mm. is really interesting. Uh, at Leviticus 18 as I remember and 20 
and one says if a man lies with a man this is um, this is an abomination and the other one says if a man lies has sex with a man take them outside and and kill them yeah. now these are different in themselves so first of all the obvious point people say you've got to believe the whole Bible you've got to put the Bible <laughs> yeah, into exactly, action yeah. you've got to put the Bible into action if you don't keep the Bible you know yeah, the yeah. word of God is the word of God so the answer is so when did you last spot two gay men who were living together and take them outside and stone them to death yeah. and why aren't you in prison for doing it <laughs> yeah. Yeah. in other words they have relativized yeah, exactly. that Bible yeah. passage however if they knew the Old Testament the Hebrew Bible better they would know that in in Judaism, the most holy book is the Torah, which mm. is the first five books of the Bible, mm. the books of Moses, as they're traditionally mm. called. And then the next most um, honoured book in Judaism mm. isn't the prophets, it's not the rest of the Old Testament, mm. it's something called the Talmud, mm. which isn't, which isn't mm. in the Hebrew Bible. The Talmud is... Um, is in English it's in 73 volumes you can yeah. you read it yeah. online yeah. it'll take you a friggin long time <laughs> <laughs> but you can get it online right now Google Talmud yeah. you know and the Talmud that is in two parts the first part is the Mishnah yeah. and the Mishnah is not a commentary on the first on the Torah the first five books of the Bible which includes Leviticus of course mm. so these mm. two verses it's more of a, a discussion about them yeah. than a commentary on them and yeah. it's it's sectioned into prayer bits on prayer yeah. bits on human relationships etc etc yeah. and the reason the Mishnah was written this ancient document was because the sages and the scholars and later the rabbis in Judaism mm. realized that the Old Testament was saying different things at different places, <laughs> and that there were th yeah. 613 laws yeah. in the in the yeah. in the Torah in the books of Moses, and they all contradict one another, <laughs> just like the two around it. They yeah. contradict one another all over the place, and the reason for that, of course, is that we believe it was we. Our best knowledge tells us it was Ezra the priest yeah. who finally edited together all of these yeah. different sources from different yeah. places. And of course the law had evolved over time and it was thought of differently. And he bunged them all yeah. together and yeah. and and then, then they contradict one another. So, you know, when the people say to you, there's no contradictions in the Bible, all you can yeah, ask is, yeah, yeah. when did you actually read it? Which yeah, exactly. Has, yeah. Because the Mishnah is dedicated to trying to harmonise <laughs> yeah. the contradictions by yeah. being a kind of discussion. Yeah. And it's a discussion. So in the Mishnah, you know, so-and-so thinks this, so-and-so thinks that. You can see yeah. it this way, you can see it that way. Then the Talmud... Which the second half of the Talmud is yeah. is called the Gemara, yeah. and the second, which is the really long bit. And if you ever read it, it's worth reading online. The Talmud, the the Gemara, the second half of the Talmud mm. is a commentary on the Mishnah. <laughs> so the Mishnah yeah. is a discussion of why are all these bits in the Old <laughs> Testament kind of contradicting yeah. each other? Oh, this is what the scholars think and the sages think, and this is all their different views and opinions. But it's a debate, it's a conversation, yeah. it's not a, we told you so. And then the Talmud yeah. is the commentary across the centuries of all the rabbis on the possible ways of understanding this. So, Christianity has never, 
Christianity, to put it in simple language, nicked the Hebrew Bible, yeah. called it the Old Testament, yeah. has never consulted the Hebrews who read <laughs> Hebrew yeah. on what it actually means, yeah. nor adopted their 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 um, policy, their principle of discussion around this. Rather, non-Hebrew thinkers nicked it yeah. and then insist on telling the world what it means. Yeah. Great. So, so what so, do those two verses mean? Well, those two verses are are debated in many ways by um, in many ways by the sages. First of all, it only talks about men, not women. Yeah. Uh, secondly, this isn't about marriage relationships, committed, it's not about faithful, faithful life. No, no, which was always between two families and two tribes, and it was yeah. it. So, so, uh, so the sages debate the meaning yeah. of it, but what they're sure of. Is that this has this is nothing to do with with a, a with a marriage and a and a, yeah. a joint union between families? But then you've got to ask, what was marriage in the in yeah. the Hebrew Bible? Because when Seven people things. say, yeah, <laughs> when people say, oh, we've got to get back to the Bible and uphold biblical marriage, I think you don't quite mean that. Not polygamy, anyway. <laughs> yeah. Well, you yeah. know, there are various yeah. types of marriage in the Old Testament, which because it's yeah. all about land rights and bringing families together. So, for instance, there's a kind of marriage in the Old Testament, which you mm. know well because you mm. would have read about it, which it, my wife, her name is Cornelia, and my brother-in-law is called Mike, and my sister-in-law is called Judy. Mm. So I've known Judy, my sister-in-law, for many, many years. Mm. According to Levitical law, mm. if Mike dies, yeah. it is my duty to marry Judy, <laughs> <laughs> as well as Cornelia. Good times. Yes, exactly. <laughs> now, that's biblical marriage, according to Leviticus. But as I've said to Judy many times, I've said to Mike, actually, who's a Christian, I said, Mike, I like you and I like Judy a lot. I love Judy, actually. But... I am not marrying you. <laughs> like, I, and and if Mike yeah. was um, was yeah. a, a, a Bronze Age uh, Jew yeah. uh, living at the time when the books of Moses, including yeah. Leviticus, were written, he would then say, "I'm ever so sorry, Steve, but biblical standards require that you marry Judy." Yeah, yeah sure. And give her children. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Okay. Well. <laughs> so in other words. So so there we go. There's there's so, your turn. Yeah. What about what about Paul yeah. though? But what? But my point. I suppose we're labouring the point about yeah. the Old Testament. But we're not labouring it. We're saying that to read the book. You know, I I heard someone say recently. In fact, I talk about it in my book. I heard someone say in a church I was at he, that he was saying to people who become Christians recently, who you know joined the church recently. He said, "Look, read the Book of Romans." He said, why don't you um, read it on your phone? He said, you can read it on the way to work. Read a bit of the Bible each day. Get on that bus, get on that train, get on the tube and read a little bit of Romans each day. It'll do you a lot of good. You cannot read Paul and it do you good. You have, unless you know that Paul was a second temple Jew with a particular mindset and a particular outlook. But then you've got to understand other things. Every community that Paul writes to is partly Jewish and partly Gentile. Paul never writes to or has any contact with or any interest in any community, any church as we call it, that was simply Jewish or simply Gentile. He was only interested in in cross-cultural 
communities. So Paul yeah. is writing to first century communities that are cross-cultural, that are partly Jewish with all of that narrative yeah. and partly Gentile with all of that narrative. And he's writing to them as a second temple Jew who believes in a Messiah but believes yeah. that a Messiah has to, to be alive. And he's writing to these churches specifically. So the theological way of saying it, that Paul's letters are occasional. That's what the theologians say. In other words, he writes to people he knows about specific things that are happening in their community. Now, I used to be, you probably remember, I was the, I was the minister of two churches at the same time. One was called Hatton Hall in Bermondsey, yeah. and the other one was called Amot Road in Beckham. <laughs> yeah. One was a, almost completely black church, and one was almost completely white. Yeah. Yeah. They were completely different churches, separated by about five miles. Yeah. 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 I was the minister of both at the same time. The things I said and wrote to, because I did write yeah. to them sometimes by fax, actually, yeah. because of that. Yeah, back in the to, day, that to, was the technology. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the things I said to the to the to the church leaders yeah. at Amot Road in Peckham were completely different to yeah. Haddon Hall, because they're different communities, so facing different issues, completely different yeah. contexts. Yeah. As you, you know, both yeah. churches, it's completely okay. different context. If somebody yanked my writings to the Amot Road Church and my writings to the Haddon yeah. Hall Church and tried to universalise them yeah. so they yeah. applied to every church and yeah. then said, this is the theology of Steve Chalk for all time for all yeah. churches, yeah. they'd fail everyone. Yeah. We do that with Paul. We take a specific letter that he wrote to a particular community in the capital yeah. city of the empire... And we universalize it instead of saying he knew these guys. This yeah. was wasn't the church as we know it anyway. It was a small um, revolutionary cell group of people who from uh, who were who were both Jews and Gentiles trying to work out their differences yeah. and their tensions, living in under the boot of the Roman Empire with all of its inconsistencies, and they're being written to by a Second Temple Jew. Now tell me which. Which yeah. person who's just joined a church yeah. can read this off their phone yeah. on a <laughs> yeah. bus and make head nor tail of it? Yeah. yeah. So you've got to read Paul in context or you don't read him at all. And once you read him in context, the, the problems that we have over the LGBT community that we think Paul set us up for disappear completely. There are three passages in Paul that are used by people, that they're weaponized and they're yeah, used by people yeah. on the gay community, the LGBT yeah. Um, which yeah. is a strange um, statement anyway, isn't I it? Because L, G and B are to do with sexualities and the T is to do with gender. Mm. Um, so it's a different thing, although mm. sometimes people have gender questions as well as sexuality questions, mm. and so the two mm. come together. But anyway, so we take Romans chapter 1, we take 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and we take, mm. um, we take 1 Timothy chapter 1, mm. And we use those three clobber passages or yeah. weaponized passages and we say these condemn LGBT people. Well, the first, Romans chapter 1, which is the biggest yeah. one yeah. passage really, they say oh, Paul condemns any unnatural sexuality. Yeah. Only people who read the Bible divorced from any understanding of Roman culture. They yeah, never yeah. watched, if they were old enough, they never watched carry-on films about, you know, <laughs> like, you know, I can't remember, carry-on Pompeii yeah. and all this kind of stuff. In other words, 
Rome was a completely sexualized community and they never went to independent schools where they did the classics and they they read Suetonius or whatever because anybody who knows anything about Roman culture would know it was debauched and sexualized yeah totally sexualized the next thing they know is that Rome used the people that it conquered as its sex slaves and sex things yeah, yeah. Exactly. Uh, gladiators yeah. were yeah. all political prisoners and they were used as sex slaves as well as to fight. Yeah. But even the Roman citizen women, in an age where there was no contraceptive, yeah. and their, their husband has, they had open yeah. relationships and their husband is away and he has a, I mean, you had a housewife because she was the housewife. Then you'd have mistresses for pleasure, a housewife to bring up the legitimate heirs. This right. is, you know, you yeah, read about yeah, this sure, in Plato sure. and yeah, Aristotle, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, we all know, you know, yeah. we all know. So the bloke can stand up in his little pulpit in his church and he yeah. can bang on about how this condemns yeah. homosexuality and same-sex relationships. But hang on a minute. This is, I've got to be like, am yeah. I getting too excited? Yeah. No, about no. This? I just like, look, the Bible is not the private property of somebody standing in a pulpit, be yeah. that a virtual yeah. one on Facebook yeah. or something, or a literal one. You know, the, the Bible is a public document. Yeah. So, so I've yeah. quoted, um, I've talked about Plato and I've talked about Aristotle and I've talked about Homer and we could, okay. you know, etc., etc. Et these are polymaths. You know, these, yeah. these giants are studied. They're studied yeah. by historians, linguists. They're studied uh, by theologians, politicians, politi- anthropologists. Yeah. They're studied by psychologists. They're yeah. studied, etc., etc., etc. Paul was a polymath. He wasn't even just writing about religion. He's re- writing about the redistribution of wealth. Yeah. He's writing about the Roman Empire. He's studied by people all over the world. So, forgive yeah. me saying this, the, the, the guy, whoever he is, can stand up in his little evangelical church or Catholic church and say, this is what the Bible means. And spent a long time condemning you, to be fair. Yeah. And, <laughs> and the, kid, the kid that's intelligent... Yeah. On his smartphone at the back, he's just looking it all up online, and he's going, "But that's not what the scholars say." Yeah, exactly right. You know? Yeah. That's not what the scholars say. That's not what these words mean. This is not what Paul was talking about. What Paul was talking about to the Romans in this debauched capital city, yeah, where anyone was fair game if they were a slave, you could exploit anyone you like. Yeah. your own ends and Paul is saying this isn't right because Paul cares about every human life everybody's in do not exploit and abuse anyone else and then the other two passages and you talk, talked about this word arsenocoitus coitus is yeah it? arsenocoitus um, so it's what, so long since I've talked about it I can't even remember yeah. well um, <laughs> well in in um in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and in 1 Timothy yeah. chapter 1, Paul has this list and he says, these kind of people won't inherit God's kingdom. Liars, cheats, murderers, murderers of their mothers, slave traders, etc., yeah. etc. And then in both used to appear the word homosexuality, homosexuals. Yeah. Now, the word homosexual in the latest edition of the NIV appears in the Timothy version, but not in the Corinthians version. They've dropped it. 
because this word is actually a word arsenicoitis, as we've just said. Yeah. The, the interesting thing about arsenicoitis is it's used by Paul for the first time ever, as far as we know. In yeah, other no words, no one else has used it. No. Well, in 10 years' time, someone could dig up an ancient manuscript because we're doing it all the rest yeah, yeah. all the time and go, oh, it was used before, Paul. Yeah. But as far as we know, and we had thousands and thousands yeah, and sure. thousands of documents, this is never used before, Paul. It's only used after him, mm. always in connection to him. Mm. Arson means men. Yeah. Arsenocoitis means bed. Yeah. So arsenocoitis means men bed yeah and homosexual is a guess at what this word that's yeah. never used before means because how you do bible yeah. translation is yeah, you compare yeah, sure. what it means in this person this person this person you say oh yeah. it's always used in this context so it means this it's never used before so paul's making up men bed yeah and so people have said oh paul's are. against all these people and against homosexuals but the way to demonstrate this isn't true <laughs> is easy yeah. You take that long list of, of people Paul condemns in these two passages and you string them together and put homosexual amongst them. Mm. And it's murderers, it's people who, um, it's exploiters, it's slave yeah. traders, it's yeah. liars, it's cheats. And it's people who are homosexual. <laughs> they, Paul has gives us a list of people who abuse and exploit other people, and then we put yeah. homosexual in. Yeah. Well, the guys that got married on Saturday that I married, yeah. James and Tony, yeah. they're beautiful. They love they're lovely. Like yeah, yeah. Each their families other. love them. Yeah. Their friends love them. Everyone yeah. loves them because they're kind. Yeah. They're beautiful. Yeah. They're not exploiters. No. Arsenicoitis, men bed. A better translation yeah. would be men who exploit women or men through beds. Or yeah. men who are pimps and yeah. use women or use yeah. men. Yeah. Now, one other thing. So yeah. I've just said everyone's in. But yeah. then you say, oh, but I've just quoted Paul as saying these people can't inherit yeah. the kingdom of God. Yeah, but that means that they can't inherit the kingdom of God. It doesn't mean they're eternally damned. No, it just means... <laughs> In as far as my wife's name is yeah. Cornelia, yeah. we've been married thirty-eight years. It's a miracle. It is a miracle, <laughs> mostly down to her <laughs> resilience. <laughs> it is a miracle, but the point is, in a, I've learned over these years, in as far as I'm not generous to her, don't think of her, don't put her needs before mine. God, I don't inherit the good stuff in no. life. In as far as I lie or I cheat yeah. or I abuse or I exploit another person, I can't inherit God's kingdom. In as far as I live generously and openly, hmm. live with honesty and integrity and self-control, yeah. I do inherit And God's the kingdom, kingdom of God is a quality of life in it's the here and now, right now, Indeed. today, not it, after you've died. Not the place that the damned are going to go to after yeah. they die. So all Paul is saying, in as far as you exploit and abuse, yeah. you just don't you're, inherit you're not, that quality of life. You're not having life. life. You're not exactly. alive. Yeah. Great. So, well, I'm loving this, believe me. Um, I mean, and, and you know, this is sort of part of my mm. story. And basically I left the church because of this very issue. Because, mm. well, without going into it, you know, I was asked, at one point I was asked to, 
tell some people to go to another church that dealt with that sort of thing. And you said to me, because yeah. uh, uh, for, for the sake of anybody listening yeah. to this, we, we had, uh, yeah. we had uh, I had a wine and you had a beer earlier. We, <laughs> yeah. sat, uh, yeah. we sat on, on the, the pier, pier of the year. Which was the pier of the year in Worthing, which yeah. was a joy to me because I live yeah. in London. Uh, and yeah. um, and you were telling me that your your angst at disobeying. Yeah, I mean, there's no problems with the old uh, church leader, and yes, yeah. and I wish, you know, I do wish them genuinely. I wish yeah. them well, yeah. and I pray God's blessing on them and and, and everyone associated with. It. There's not a problem, but there is an anger I can't that I I struggle to let mm. go of, and I don't know if I should, and that's that's the mm. question. As I, and, and and it goes like this: one of the parting shots. Uh, when I left the church by this leader was, he said, he said, the thing is, Joe, your theology is dangerous, which I always took to mean, you know, I'm in danger of going to hell because I would include, you know, openly gay people in the church and I'd marry them. And I think, I think subsequently, you know, when I get a bit self-righteous, which is an ugly thing, any time I get self-righteous, I have not inherited the kingdom of God. I recognise that. Um, and you know I can do that from time to time, but I think, you know, having having taken the funerals of young gay men who committed suicide, I sort of, you know, in my in my ponderous moments, I think, right, you know, you you come down and comfort those <laughs> families and speak mm. to them and and say whatever mm. it is you're going to say your your child's in hell, mm. I'm afraid, or whatever it is you'd say, and and then let's mm. get together and have a conversation on whose theology is dangerous because as far as i know the theology you're espousing in that book is the complete opposite of danger Mm. it's openness it's freedom it's liberation it's love it's joy it's peace it's harmony it's welcome it is actually good news this is not good news the other theology and Mm. and actually the consequences of it it and this is why theology is not it's not just a passive, oh, oh, you believe that, you believe that, hey, live and let live. Yeah. No, people die. Yeah, bad theology. Actually, that's where it leads. Yeah. And I know this because I do the, their yeah. funerals. Um, yeah, bad theology. Sorry, I'll get a bit... No, no, you should. You, things, should. But, you, know, you it's, should. It's hard to let go of that one. Well, and it, the other thing I was going to say, and then tell you a story, uh, which um, a friend of mine told me just a few weeks ago about him to this point. But the thing is, you know, there's an angry theology. If you yeah. believe that God is angry with most people yeah. because they've not prayed the prayer and they mm. don't have faith, so in the mm. end they're going to be condemned and God's angry with them, and then you believe that you are the agent of God, yeah. then you get angry with people and you're angry with anyone who doesn't fit in and anyone who doesn't believe what you believe and you yeah. want to exclude yeah. them and you want to say, expel yeah. that person. And um, you'll be angry at people who preach something else or teach Mm. something else or live a different way. If you believe that God is love (laughs) and through his faithfulness we're all included, you accept everyone. You don't write angry emails and write people off and et cetera, et cetera. Anyway, the story... um, uh, Before you tell the story, I'll just say, uh, I I I think you're right. I think you're saying that... There is a way in which there's a sort of righteous anger. I think I'm not sure about it because I suppose there's part of me that feels I do still feel really angry about. Yeah, that. but I, and, I, and, and, and you and know, and it's it's good. But actually, what I do with that anger is I say, 
And that's why I'm never going to lead a church because mm. I just mm. don't want anything to do. You know, yeah. I just don't want anything. It's, I don't it, want to defend my views. I don't want to waste my breath. I don't know mm. how you do it over <laughs> and over again. I genuinely don't know how you have the patience to do what you do. To co- repeatedly have people sitting down with you saying this and well, because yeah you know, yeah because I so have, it, I can't do it. I just yeah. go, no, well, enough's all, enough. This all, is wrong, and I can't bear it. We're all different people, and we're called <laughs> to do what we do. Taking we? the chickens way yeah. out, and I'm sorry. So, but I think that I think that that loving acceptance of somebody who sits yeah. there and tells you you're going to hell because you you know it happens yeah. to me often, and then I say yeah. You know, shall I get you another drink? <laughs> anyway, I I would tell you about my friend. Yeah. And and I could tell you this story a hundred times, literally um, hundreds hundreds of times, because so many people have written to me, talked to me. But um, in our church, um, one of my friends spoke um, a few Sundays ago. It was on Pride. It was Pride weekend yeah. in London. And we'd asked him to speak. And he's in his 50s. And uh, this is his story, effectively. He grew up in Northern Ireland, um, in Brethrenism, strict evangelical, you know, fundamentalist end of it, where he was taught to be gay was an abomination. And as he grew through his childhood, he slowly realised he was gay. And so he used to pray every day that God would make him straight. Huh. And he, t- he, told, he told our congregation that he got up every day of his life, he said, from being a teenager on. He'd get up every morning, he'd go into the bathroom and he'd look in the mirror as you do when you're hmm. cleaning your teeth or whatever. And he'd say, he said, I'd say, I hate you. God. He'd hated himself. Oh. Right. And then he'd say to himself, I hope this is the last day of your life because you are an abomination to God because of the disgusting things that you think. Mm-hmm. Anyway, as he grew through his teenage years into his 20s, he'd committed to God that he'd be celibate forever because, you know, you mm. get taught by these groups who tell you about same-sex attraction you know they, they use mm. that term instead to avoid mm. saying homosexual and they say you know just keep mm. keep keep them mm. um, celibate you know mm. live it mm. out and you know, mm. all this kind of thing which is horrible mm. horrible thing to say to people because mm. you tell people to be celibate and not have a relationship and not have intimacy but you're not there no. 30 years on when this people sits lonely in a flat because no. they've been told that they yeah, can't yeah. have friendship right. and by the way by then you've probably abandoned your your, your rather juvenile theology and moved on to something else and yeah. I know all those yeah. things because all those yeah, people yeah, who yeah, preached exactly. all this in the past come see me now you know yeah. so a guy in his mid-twenties can stand up and preach about you know be celibate or, or get married heterosexually yeah. even though yeah. you're same-sex attracted come tell me about that in 25 years time yeah. you know that's yeah. what I say yeah. You know, um, I, I I really do because I've seen yeah. so many lives broken. Yeah. Anyway, my friend, okay. so he reaches this place where he hates himself so much, but he's now well into his twenties and he's determined he's going to be celibate. But being celibate every now and then, you know, his hormones overcome him, and he knows he fights it and he fights it. He knows he's going to end up looking at porn on his computer, yeah. and he hates it and he hates it and he hates it. But he gives in. He watches this porn, this male porn on the computer, and then for days he feels he feels 
totally worse than ever. He always hated himself anyway. Now he hates himself more. And occasionally, he said, he'd go to a bar and he'd end up in some sordid one-night stand with some guy and he'd just want to kill himself, kill himself, because he'd let God down. Wow. He let God down. He felt so, he hated himself because he knew God hated him, and he now let God down. So he said, in the end, he realised this: that the the feelings of regret and remorse and self hatred was so intense when he'd mm. finally given in to his hormones yeah. that when he felt it, but he'd fight and fight and fight yeah. to be celibate. And when he felt like he couldn't be anymore, what he'd do when he before mm. he sat at his computer to watch this mm. porn, he'd take painkillers. Wow. He'd take yeah. painkillers yeah. so that he didn't feel that intense burning Gosh. guilt wow. and shame yeah. afterwards. And anyway, these things, you know, more and more and more he turned from these to, to, to drugs, soft drugs, harder drugs. And in the end, he became um, a crystal meth right. addict. Wow. And one night, wandering home from his job, in the city with a bonus with which he could buy crystal meth mm. which meant that he could then go and have mm. he said it wasn't even the sex it was just to be held by someone mm. to be touched by another human being mm. no one ever touched him mm. and he said and he had this bonus in his pocket but he knew that now if he did this thing, it was horrendous to God and he hated himself so much. So he stood on the Millennium Bridge. Mm. It was late at night. He put down his briefcase and the Millennium Bridge, I live in London, so I know this well, it's got quite a low sides. Yeah. And he's quite tall and he decided he'd, he'd stand by the, um, the, he'd lean against the, the, the rail yeah. and then he just, it was the middle of the winter, it's pitch yeah. black, freezing cold. He just throw himself backwards yeah. and appear and disappear into the blackness, and yeah. finally, the yeah. hatred of himself would be over. And he would put his case down, and he's preparing to do this, and he'd forgotten. He'd not turned off his phone, and his phone rung, rang. And he looked at his phone, which he said, originally he thought was a mistake, and it was somebody who rang him who'd never rung him before friend of his, never rung him up at all, let alone at half 11 that night. Yeah. So he thought we'd better answer it. <laughs> so he gets chatting to his friend. And the result is the moment passes and his mood's changed and he doesn't commit suicide. Yeah. And slowly he's gone on though. He'll say still today, he's tempted to do yeah. the drugs to take away yeah. the shame even though he's come into a community where he's loved. Yeah. It's still a problem. Yeah. So here's the thing. This man became a crystal meth addict simply to try to escape the deep feelings of guilt and shame that were inflicted on him by the church. Oh. Some research out last week. Oh. Um, I, whenever people listen to this, you'll be able to find yeah. it. BBC yeah. Research gay men are likely to be more, uh, there's a higher percentage of homelessness mm. amongst gay men than any other section of the population mm. cool. and it's always a tr well always 
in the vast majority of the cases, it's because of their religious upbringing. Yeah. Because they end up hating themselves. and they, yeah. So, um, I, sorry, I feel like we've dragged it down a bit. If there is anyone listening to the podcast, you same sex, which I assume there will be, um, what would you say to them? I would say celebrate that you are made in God's image. Celebrate your sexuality. Celebrate who you are. You are loved by God. God is faithful. You are him. Now live like it. But the living like it simply means this. I, I'm married to Cornelia. I can exploit mm. her. Yeah. Or I can choose to put her first. Yeah. So promiscuity, yeah. you know, sleeping around casually for our, my own gratification or whatever, yeah. is wrong for us. Oh, is it wrong because God's going to come and get us? No. Right. It's wrong because it dehumanizes us and it spoils us. But I would say join a community where you're celebrated for who yeah. you are and by the way oasis church in waterloo yeah, there are many other, yeah, you know yeah. what well, you know come and meet some someone yeah. come yeah. and meet yeah. some yeah. one church it? in brighton and soul place in worthing yeah. yeah come and meet someone of your yeah. own sex and form a relationship that gives you the intimacy that you crave you are loved you are special and all because we can faithfully translate Paul's message about the faithfulness of Christ. The faithfulness of Christ. And I say again, the critics of this, everyone's entitled their own opinion, but there's only one set of facts. And the historians and the linguists and the sociologists and yeah. the anthropologists and the archaeologists Yeah, but you're the guy doing the work world. saying this is what it means now. I mean, Tom yeah. Wright would agree with you and everything, but his books aren't actually saying, so this is what it would look like in a local church setting. So, but you're, so a load you're of doing that. scholars do the scholarship yeah. work and they tell yeah. you what the Greek words mean. Yeah. I'm a, I'm, I'm a practitioner. I'm a, I'm a local right. pastor. I'm a local church leader. I lead a charity. We work in communities all around the country. I'm, yeah, I'm saying if it means this, this is what it actually means in real life. Right. Well... Thank you. Do you know this is called the Mid Faith Crisis podcast, mm. not Mid Life Crisis? Mm. Sorry, obviously. that's Sorry. okay. Uh, Mid Faith Crisis podcast, and, mm. and I think one of the reasons that it keeps coming up over and over again is that people struggle with this dogma mm. of the church. And you know, I would, I would, I would just say to listeners, you could do far worse than buy yourselves a copy of uh, the Lost Message of Paul and uh, read that book, and uh, you know, maybe put it on the Christmas list for your church pastor as well. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> that's a good move <laughs> Steve thank you so much for being it we could talk for hours in fact we will go and talk for hours now but thanks so much for coming down thanks for being on the podcast thank you Joe. cheers